Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, hey, good morning this morning. Yeah, that's right. It's me. It's Tuesday morning, and what a beautiful Tuesday it is. Remember these days when all of a sudden, at least here in Indianapolis, middle of July, we're cold, it's dark, it's raining, it's snowing, it's sleeting. You know what I'm saying. These are the beautiful days, ladies and gentlemen, and I am, oh, so happy that you took the time to join us today for America's Best Morning Show. It is taking off like wildfire. I'm supposed to say that. I don't know if that's politically correct or not anymore. This is the show where we do not allow wokeness and politically correctness in. We tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me Dan. And of course, we lead it off with another Biden moment. Now, Biden moments, here's what we're getting. We're getting Biden moments that are being defended. Well, you know he's got a stutter. Well, you know, in the 70s, when he was an incredible racist in front of Congress relative to schools and African-Americans, he didn't stutter one bit. Didn't stutter one bit. But all of a sudden, when things like this happen, well, Joe's got to stutter. Go back and look it up. Let's play it right now. Let's see. Joe says... America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him... America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him... America is a nation that can be defined in... But he's got a stutter. Ain't no stutter. We got a president that mentally is incompetent right now. I'm sorry, but we do. And I'm not... You know, hey, look, if you want to get mad at me for that, then get mad at me. But there's always an an, an excuse. That's our president. Now, if you listen to the entire speech that he gave, it's all right. It's a political speech. You know, he talks about this is a defining moment for women and African-American and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. But you know it's coming. You know this is coming. And I got to tell you, I don't, the president of the United States can't speak, can't ride a bike, can't be in public, can't walk upstairs, can't make his own policies, is hurting our nation. And frankly, uh, if he were just Joey uh, Corn Pops from the South Side, I wouldn't care. It doesn't matter to me. In fact, if he were a president that was actually trying to do right by this country, it wouldn't matter to me what he said. Don't care. Didn't care about Trump. Didn't care about Clinton. Didn't care about Bush. Didn't care about any of them. And I got to tell you, even though Joey Cornpops here uh, stammers and stutters, I still disliked listening to Obama and George W. Bush worse. Obama tried to get every speech that he ever gave on the side of a wall. Never said anything, never did anything, but he tried to get it on the side of a wall. Well, our nation is full of the most... And George Bush was even worse. George Bush was like, oh my God. But at least one of them in Obama's case didn't do anything, and the other in Bush's case represented us pretty well by throwing out a pitch and handling 9-11 like a champ. 
This guy's done nothing. This guy's done nothing but hurt our country for an ideology that is un-American. That's my opinion. You disagree. God bless you. But that's my humble opinion. Or maybe it's my not-so-humble opinion. Why do I have to be humble? I don't think that I do. I don't. There's no reason to be humble. Hell no. I'm humble. Um, There's something called the new media. And the new media, I get a kick out of. See, I am the new media. I started the new media. The new media is where people slash coaches, players, whatever, tell the truth on what's actually happening in sports. ESPN understood that I was the first coach that ever came on their set and spoke freely and clearly without caring about whether or not players or coaches got mad at me. And thus, I became the most popular analyst on ESPN. I decided after 10 years, that's enough. Now I'm going to try to be not the most popular, but a great team player on OutKick. That's what I want to do. I want OutKick folks to be proud of what it is we do. But the new media started with me. I mean, let's be honest. Now you got Draymond. Now you got all these guys. Actually, I digress. The new media started from a player standpoint with Barkley. And Shaq joined it. Kenny hasn't quite joined it. But the new media with coaches started with moi. As ESPN said, you're the first guy we ever had here that wasn't afraid to criticize coaches, that wasn't afraid to criticize players. Now, I wouldn't go swimming with an insane person who's a professor, uh, and that got me in trouble, but all right, whatever. But I like this feud here. See, the new media is guys respond. And Draymond Green shows every day that he's intelligent enough, but not quite, because all you got to do, when you're not intelligent uh, enough to really, like, I don't know, talk like uh, you can mess around with Stephen A. Smith all you want, or Skip Bayless, but they are eloquent in their words. Like, people hate Stephen A. Smith, but when Stephen A. Smith talks on a subject, he doesn't have to swear, right? You can listen to Skip Bayless, and when Skip Bayless talks on a subject, he doesn't have to swear. Draymond Green's at a point yet now he's in his 20s or whatever he's in. He still has to swear for effect. Look, I just got out of that. When you grow your vocabulary and you become more intelligent relative to how the media works, you don't have to swear so much. In fact, when I first started ESPN, I would write down on my little notepad here. See this notepad? I would write down N-S and fill it in. No swearing. N-S. Well, so Green hasn't reached that level of media intellect. You know, he gets clicks by the, hey, mother, you know, that kind of stuff. Stephen A. Smith, when you tone it down, great vocabulary. Bayless, great vocabulary. Why do I use those two? Because they're the most polarizing. When you look at Barkley, Barkley uses a great vocabulary based on common sense, based on charm. So this new media is really just uh, so far based on just uh, F you, you know, blank, blank, F, you know what I mean? And um, Barkley basically said to earn respect from the old heads, which is Barkley and Jordan and those guys, 
Kevin Durant's got to win a title on his own. Now, I disagree with that. I think anytime you go out and win back-to-back titles, you're doing pretty good. Like, and you're, it's not like you were me at Indiana when we won the Big Ten title sitting on my ass not even playing. I mean, you know, I got a ring or whatever I got from that, and I, I don't know. I didn't play. You know, what do I care? I mean, Durant was a main guy, so Charles is, I think, a little bit put, uh, just, just jabbing. But Durant don't like it. So instead of coming back, you know, in this new media, all this S is nasty. Another terrible analogy from a hating old head that can't accept what we making more bread than them, that we making more bread than them. It's just timing, Chucky. Don't hate the player. Now, that's all good, and I like it, because he is making an assumption about Barkley that this is based on money. So I like the fact that he at least makes an assumption. But everybody's always got to swear, right? It would be more powerful if he just made that assumption. Hey, look, Charles, I won two championships. I make more money than you. I get it. You're older. You're mad about it. See, the, the new media guys will evolve into that because you can't monetize swearing. I learned that. My vocab- I'm, I'm dumb. When I got to this show, like every other word, not every other word, but a lot of words were, you know, swear words. And they said, Dan, we can't monetize this if you're going to swear. So intellectually, I had to change how I went. And that's what, that's what these guys are going to have to do. Intellectually, they're going to have to change. Now, they don't have to do nothing because they're international superstars with more money in the bank. But if they want to make money off the media, they're going to have to change the way they look. I like the new media as I was the first coach to start the new media, but I also like them firing back. That's not thin-skinned what Kevin Durant is doing. That's just saying, hey, man, I'm firing. Why is Michael Jordan the only guy that gets to fire back? People call me thin-skinned all the time for firing back. Why? That's how I was brought up. Smack me, I'm going to smack you back. Cussing me, I'm going to cuss back at you. I don't care if you got 20 followers or 20,000 followers. Why is that thin-skinned? See, I don't think Kevin Durant's being thin-skinned. But I do think Kevin Durant has great points, and he needs to couch them in a way that people will go, yeah, man, instead of coming to a level where people discard it. Now, look, I'm not saying Kevin Durant needs to do it. I'm not saying Draymond. Draymond got four rings. Draymond's the next star. It will be uncool to not like Draymond. Yesterday, tell you a quick story. Yesterday, my wife and I are golfing on a course over here. Pat McAfee lives right over here. He's on the course. We we cross paths. I'm on the uh, ninth, what am I on? The ninth tee box. He's on the second hole. He and his buddies are there. McAfee, hey, we stand and we talk. It was late. No one was on the course. And we just, he loves the show. And I love his show. Like, I'm a big Pat Mac fan. So we're talking. He goes, man, I love your political takes. I love that you're into politics. Uh, but, he, you know, I see even more hate for you. I go, Pat, here's the deal. If somebody hates me, then they're considered cool, the person that hates me. If someone hates you, then they're considered jackass because you're the cool one. And that's the deal here. See, right now, these guys are playing into Barkley's coolness. But they could be the Pat McAfee if they couched it in a way that people go, yeah, he just made Barkley look ridiculous. I'm just saying, media, I understand. Basketball, I understand. The rest of the world, marriage to my second wife, I understand. Raising kids, I understand. Other than that, I got nothing for you. Zero, zip, nada. 
No, I can't add one plus one. I can't subtract two minus two. No, this stuff I get though. Anyway, so Barkley's mad. Durant falls right. Or excuse me, Barkley's not mad. He just he just being Barkley. Durant falls right into the trap. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you quit the f bombs. You get the thing, and you're gonna like it. Now, right now, it's cute. But I'm talking about for longevity. Right now, Sports Center will beep out the f bombs. But at some point, they get tired of it. And now you've got to couch this to where intellectually you make Barkley look bad. And he could have done it there. Anyway, I gave you a long speech on something that really, truly doesn't matter. Uh, what did I tell you last night? What did I say? I told Lee, look, hey, look, we're not, we're not even, we don't have to work anymore after last night. I'm sorry. We don't have to work anymore after last night. Uh, you know, pack up. Let's go on a worldwide cruise. We can go around the world. Why, you ask? Well, frankly, because it was six to two. That's right. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the heart of a champion. Now, you're going to say to me, because this is what gamblers do, you're going to say to me, hey, Dakish. It's pronounced Dockage, like Jockage, but with a D. Anyway, hey, Dakish, Jockage. I hate you. You're mean. Hey, by the way, who you like in the next one, Avs and the Lightning? No, 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 no. No. Uh -uh. I'm not betting the next one because I don't know. But I knew this one. And I don't know a single player. See, gambling is like Texas Hold'em. You got to know the circumstance. And there was no way the heart of the champion was going to do anything but compete its absolute you-know-what off against a team that had embarrassed them, the Avs, and now the Lightning are coming home. I'm just telling you. Yeah. So if you got P-H-A-T with me yesterday, oh, by the way, that smells fat with me. If you made more money than you had sense, let me know. Just let me know. I'm telling you. I'll do it again tonight. I got a game for you tonight. I got a game for you at 11.50. And by the way, this show's a mother. I got Bobby Carpenter on. I got the boss, Clay Travis, on. I got Jason Allen Hammer, usually on Thursdays. He's coming on today. Why? Because he's got a kid's game. Yeah. And I got a winner for you at 10.50. I got a big winner for you at 10.50. Tell your friends. Walk around it. Let's figure it out. 10.50. All right. We have a hero, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a sports hero. This is not a political hero. This is a business hero. This is a man that deserves whatever he can get. This is a man, his name, Jesse Powell. He's the CEO of Kraken, as you see right there, a tech company. This is a man that we all must genuflect to. Why, you say? Well, Jesse Kraken decided that his company, which has 70 countries represented among its 3,000 employees, 50 different languages spoken among his 3,000 employees, realized that he's got a small faction of jackasses, woke jackasses, that don't get offended by diversity. No, like the good folks, Ryan Clark, that we'll get into in a minute, they get offended by diversity of thought. Diversity of thought is crushing the poor little souls, the woke little minions that work at Kraken. 
So, the first time ever, not the first time ever, but the first time that I've seen it, guess what happened? Jesse Powell did what every, every CEO should do, what Jimmy Patero at ESPN should have done a long time ago. Basically, he said, look, we are not changing our culture. We will allow those of you that want to get out of here a four-month severance package. That's what we will allow you. If you want it, great. No hard feelings. Take it. Get your ass out of here. That's what Jesse Powell did with his company called Kraken. We want a thick skin operation here. He wants diversity of thought. Now, I want you to think about that. It's not about diversity. Like ESPN and and other incredibly woke places can say, hey, look, we're diverse. We got Ryan Clark on our screen. We never have three white guys on the screen together. That's great. Who cares? What it is, is do you have diversity of thought? Are you accepting of somebody that speaks uh, and thinks in a manner that you don't accept? That's the key here. That's why I like being on OutKick. That's why I like being on Fox. I think there is a diversity of thought. Yeah. Well, this man here said, wait a second. We got woke folk. We got too many woke folk. And we're not mad at them. Be woke. Great. Yay-ra. Go fight win. Yay. All right. However, however, uh, no, Uh uh-uh, can't work here. We want you here. We'd love to have you here, but uh uh-uh, no, no. We want diversity of thought. We want people that accept other people's ideology and, you know, you don't have to make it your own. But if it's going to trigger you so bad, you little weenie ass, that's actually what he's saying, uh, get out. There is a huge support for this move, huge amount of support for the company's culture and mission and the reinforcement of those. And I think everyone uh, is just ready to get back to work and stop being distracted. He said a small number of his employees were creating distractions for the whole company. Yeah, think. I said this yesterday. Wait, I can't give you that. That's racist. That many people... I guarantee you what happened was this. I guarantee you the people that walked out, purple hair, all the crap, just trying to get attention. They're not trying to help a company grow. They're not trying to further a career. They just want attention. He actually said, he went to clarify that his company had not been polluted with anti-woke culture for an entire decade. It was not until the crypto boom that staff was hired who did not align with their original mission. Said about 30 employees took the offer of four-month severance out of more than 3,000 employees. That's what I'm saying. If nobody is ever offended, Powell says, we either don't have enough diversity of thought or we don't have enough transparency and communication. We recognize that hurt feelings are inevitable in a global organization that is optimized for team outcomes above individual sediments. The ideal kryptonite or kraconite is thick-skinned and well-intentioned. Man, is that good. Oh, is that good. Fact, I am 
going to copy this and somewhere, somehow, put this somewhere. Like, this has to be somewhere. This should be on every damn... I'm sending it to myself right now. That is so freaking good. Uh, It doesn't mean that because you don't think like us, we can't have you. Look, uh, a friend of my stepdaughter, she was a catcher on the softball team. I asked her, when Trump got elected at Harvard, what happened? She goes, well, a friend of hers was happy about it. Guess what? They threw eggs at him. There you go. Hell of a culture. Anyway, uh, so Jesse Powell, you are the hero that we all need. Uh, you know, right now, and I want to talk about this with Clay, Sage Steele's lawsuit is ongoing, and ESPN, while admitting that they have been asses to her, uh, they want it dismissed. And one of the allegations in the Sage Steele lawsuit is that Ryan Clark, uh, one of ESPN's dumbest, uh, actually refused to work with one of ESPN's best. So there you see Ryan Clark. Uh, He does not like the fact that, well, Sage Steele had a different diversity of thought than poor Ryan. So Ryan was uh, going to, guess what? Ryan was going to show the world. Ryan was going to be like, hey, look, I'm not going on with her. To the point where Ryan said, I'm not going on with her. They said, what are you talking about? He then said, look, I want to go on with Matt Berry, not her. And the producers told Ryan Clark, yeah, well, that ain't happening. Either go on with her or you don't go on with her. Look, I know all the parties involved except Clark. I know what went on here. I know everybody there. So don't even try to come at me with anything other than complete and utter nonsense. But Ryan Clark isn't man enough. He's not man enough. He's not tough enough to just say, hey, look, either shut his mouth, which would be a good move, or admit what he did. Look, uh, Ryan Clark, he's not man enough to do that. Hey, he got a big mouth. Yeah, he was a tough guy. Yeah, he played well in football. Yeah, he rocked go fight win. Yeah, he talks about others and stands up there and acts like he's something. But the truth of the matter is he's really bad at his job. I mean, look, as I said, I only know uh, so much uh, about so many things. And one of the things that I do know is this job. So Ryan Clark, now this, can, now this comes out, Ryan Clark is saying, well, I've lived, uh, just so it's out there, Ryan Clark says, I just found the tweet, I couldn't find it in my other stuff. <clears throat> just so it's out there, Ryan Clark said, I don't care about anyone's politics. He's lying through his teeth. He's lying right there. Because he wouldn't go on with Sage Steele. 1,000% wouldn't go on with Sage. He's just lying. Vaccination opinions, he's lying. Or ideas on clothes. I work with a ton of people who think different than me on those things. Bottom line, I don't rock with hate. I'll leave it there. Be well. Well, great. You don't rock with hate. Of course you do. Of course you do. You also don't rock with diversity of thought. You also don't, didn't work with Sage Steele. Said, no, I'll talk to Matt Barry. And they laughed at you. They said, yeah, that ain't happening. You ain't determining who's doing what here. I mean, you're Ryan Clark. Who cares, right? I mean, if you're any good, you'd be doing a football game. But you do once in a while on a show, you know, great. But the truth of the matter is Ryan Clark is lying through his teeth here. And that's unfortunate. 
Because now when you see Ryan Clark, now how do I know this? Don't even ask. You know how I know this. <clears throat> I know everybody there. I know the producer. I know everybody. What are we talking about? So anyway, so Ryan Clark is just lying. That's awesome. I hope, I hope, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, and I'm going to ask Clay what's going to happen because there's a law in Connecticut that really favors Sage Steele. But remember, Ryan Clark, don't rock with hate. Be well. I'll leave it there. No, don't leave it there. I mean, you've lied through the whole thing. You might as well keep lying. I bet you do rock with hate. I'll bet you. I'll bet you you rock with hate because saying, look, she thinks different than me. So that's hate? Man, we got different definitions of hate. You know what I mean? Like, she thinks different. She actually questioned whether Obama's mom or dad, you know, whether why doesn't he consider himself half white? Well, oh my God, that's hate. Huh? The easiest thing for idiots like Ryan Clark to do is three things. Be vague like that. Say somebody's racist. Always, always, always say they're racist. Or try to end the conversation by where I've got real estate in your head. Okay. Well, Ryan Clark, you got real estate in nothing. I mean, you're just lying about a woman, a pioneer in the sports media world who's been at ESPN and done an amazing job, not only for herself, but for women. Not only for women, but minority women. I mean, why the hell do you think L. Duncan's dumbass is there? Why do you think half these fools are there? Because of Sage Steele. And it's amazing how guys, punks actually, like Ryan Clark, don't know that, don't understand that, can't figure that out, and hate on diversity of thought. Uh, the Magic, by all accounts, are exploring. <laughs> They're exploring all options because they're idiots. I mean, let me just tell you. Let me ask you a question. Other than when, oh man, that Turkish dude, Turkaloo, was drilling threes and Richard Lewis was, um, you know, making jump shots, when's the last time anybody cared about the Orlando Magic? This is a very simple draft. Unless there is something, and you should be exploring all number one picks, and you're going to get a guy like Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon's great. I saw him dunk. Okay, great. But Aaron Gordon's not great. Aaron Gordon can't dance. Aaron Gordon is limited. And if you are the Magic, there are only two options for the number one pick. All right? The option number one is Paolo Banchero. And if you're not smart enough to know that, well, you went 22 and 60 last year, so I'm guessing you're not smart enough to know that. Oh, I, I'm sorry, 21 and 51 the year before that. They're idiots. Like, I don't even care. 33 and 40. 42 and 40. Their last, their, listen to this. Since 2011, when Turkaloo and those guys were pretty good, all right? 2012, let's go 10 years. 2013, 244 winning percentage. 2014, 280. 305 and 15. 427, 16. 350, 17. 305, 18. Hey! 51%, 19. 45%, 29%, and then a stunning 27%. They're idiots. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You're idiots. 
So you'll screw it up. You'll take a 6'10 jump shooter, eh, and you'll be, wait, what was last year's record? 22 and 60? You'll be 23 and 59. You're idiots. You've always been idiots other than a few years, and you'll screw it up. You take, here's what you do. You take Pablo Banchero, or you take Jay Ivey, and you figure it out. Anything other than that, and you're as dumb as you've always been. But, hey, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. I'll continue to help. You'll always get my help. That's who you take. I've had 20 NBA teams call me, none of which are the mad, mad, magic, and I've told them all the same thing. Hey, Dan, who do you think the best player is in the draft? Paolo Benchero. Why do you think that? Most versatile guy. Big athletic guard. What do you think of Jaden Ivey? What do you think of um, a third? What do you think of Keegan Murray? What do you think of Johnny Davis? Dyson Daniels. Shandon Sharp. Shandon Sharp, you better be careful. That dude, I don't know if he wants to play. He thinks a lot of himself, and he ain't that damn good. He's like the guy, he's like a guy that came into Indiana. Hell, I forget his name last year. Came into IU acting all something and didn't turn a tap. Scoop, they call him. I can't remember him at Indiana. When you come in, you come in humble and you work your brains out. All right, Bobby Carpenter is going to join us. Fellas, I got him for 20 minutes because he's got to go do another show. Bobby is a very busy man. But Bobby Carpenter is going to join us. I'm very much looking forward to talking to Bobby. We'll talk to Bobby. We'll talk to Clay Travis. We got a monster for you with Jason Hammer. Stick around for the next hour and a half. Are you kidding me? Whew. This is going to be a badass show. Yeah, it's the big show. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Look, at BCARP3, all you got to do, you see him everywhere. McAfee's show, he'll be on Sirius XM Radio this afternoon. Bobby Carpenter, nice enough to join us. Hey, Bobby, we're coming off the NBA championship. And I wanted to talk about your national championship team. You know, the, the Warriors had to overcome having a worse record in basketball a few years ago. They added pieces. To win a championship, to go through a championship season, how many people think it's all ups? How many downs are there throughout the course of a season that help mold the ups? I would say that the best teams, Dan, I mean, they're arguably shaped more by those downs than they ever are by the ups. That's why it's so hard, you know, and whether it's the NFL, whether it's, you know, college football, you know, college basketball to really run the table. I mean, no matter how good you are, because the adversity is ultimately what builds you and makes your team a lot better. And, you know, we were able to do that, you know, in 2002, we won a national championship when I was at Ohio State. But you look at a lot of college football winners as late. It's really, really hard to run it all because when you're having a lot of success, it's hard to keep that edge. And you never really dig in on your deficiencies after a win. You can try. And then you were a coach. You're also a player. As a coach, I'm sure you tried to lead in on your guys. And be like, listen, this is going to get our ass eventually. If we keep doing the same thing, I'm telling you, it's going to catch you. But if you never really lose during the year, 
that might only come up at the very end of the season. And then all of a sudden it's too late. You've never had time to work through it. And so those downs, those are where the coaches are really able to shape the team. The leaders are able to shape the team. They go through those difficult situations because, man, getting up after a loss, figuring out, okay, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? How do we move forward from this? Those are really the questions of sports. And those are the lessons that sports are supposed to teach at such an early age. And so when you don't necessarily have a lot of those downs, it can be really tough. And I, I would guarantee you this. You know, you have Steph, Clay, and Draymond, you know, Iguodala, guys who have kind of been there through that full run. If this meant more than probably the other ones, maybe the first always means the most. But, you know, the fact that they bottomed out, they had all those injuries. You could Clay battling back from stuff. Everything that had happened to be able to get to this point, losing game one, and then being able to redirect that series – I'm telling you, I guarantee you that this thing meant a lot to them because of that, because they then experienced the trials in the in the in the uh, valleys of life and the valleys of sports. I've always said, like I've always said, like I've always said, you got to be careful. You got to be careful as a coach because it's never just one guy that starts complaining and breaking off from the team, right? He recruits other guys. And to your point about the leadership of the team, the leaders are the ones that have to be able to reel those guys in, right? Because it's never just one guy sitting over there. He's always recruiting people to bitch with him, no? It's amazing you say that because the first person I ever had talk, heard talk about that was Bill Parcells. And he's like, don't be going over here after practice, getting your small little circle, your little private areas, and you sit there and start complaining. You call them your little bitch groups to where you sit there and you just complain about everything because you don't want to do that in front of the whole team because there'll be certain guys that would stand up and say, you know, no, but misery loves company, Dan. And so when you're miserable, you want to pull other guys in and you start crafting and sculpting a narrative about how they're against me, they're against you, and you start pulling more people in. And in doing that, like that's when you see those schisms and fractures of teams begin to occur. And it, it was the only time, first time I'd ever really heard of it. And as I started looking back over my career, I'm like, man, that makes a lot of sense. Anytime I'd ever been part of a team that there would be any fracturing or any issues, it's because there were guys who were good leaders because they were able to convince other people of things that may not be wholly true, but come over here and listen to me. And usually it's, it's a function of that person's deficiencies of, hey, they really don't want to work or they're not a team guy. And then they make it out to be this bigger piece and they sculpt this narrative to be able to tell other guys about how, you know, they'll be taking advantage of you next or they're not doing this for you and this and we and us. And you begin to kind of separate yourself from that team. And it's, it's an incredibly toxic situation. Bobby, what's the biggest difference between an NFL locker room and a, a Ohio State locker room, you know, highest end that there is, of college football. What's the biggest difference other than talent, that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never the talent thing. I mean, it's at every level, you're going to see talent ebb and flow. It's, it's really how those relationships are structured. And in college, you know, you live with the guys that you're playing with, you know, you're all the same age. Some of you came in together, you know, your roommates or this, and that you go to class together. The difference is when you get to the NFL, like you have some of those relationships where you're walking into a room where you might be 21, 20 years old, playing with a guy who's like 34, 35, which doesn't sound like a lot. But, you know, guys kind of grow up fast in the league because you have means and you're, you're away from your family. You have to go do things. So you know, they've got kids. They've got this and that. They've got, you know, they're, they're guys who 
wanted to have early walkthroughs on Saturday because they wanted to go get to their kids like flag football and soccer games. And then there was the young dudes who wanted to have late walkthroughs on Saturday because they wanted to be able to go out on Friday night and sleep in and not have to worry about it. And so you just have people that are different life experiences. And so to be able to kind of pull it together for a common goal, like it's a little bit tougher because you're not necessarily living with those guys. You're not around them quite as much. They have families, they have other things that are going on. And, you know, when you're in college, man, all that stuff, you don't have any of that. Now, I understand there's NIL now and there's kind of those things going on, but still like everybody's still really at the same life's pace and you don't have the kids and you can, you want to go watch a movie after class on Saturday when you're done with workouts, it's like you can go do that. I have to now be like, Hey, tell my wife, you go watch a movie with AJ in the middle of the day, just the two of us. Like what the heck, man, we got kids pick up. Like can't be doing that. You gotta wait till everybody's in bed or you can take the kids with you. Like those are your options. It's not the same as what it was. So that's kind of the biggest difference of, you know, the relatability plus, I mean, like you start talking about guys listening to music and movies and all these things. You have guys who are 10 and 12 years apart. You know, I think Greg Ellis and Drew Bledsoe, Aaron Glenn, like dudes who I grew up watching play. And now all of a sudden you're there playing with them. And so like, they're talking about this and that. And like, I mean, I was born in 83. They're talking about playing, you know, high school football in the 80s and how much different that was. It's like, okay, man, like trying to reel that back in. And as of late, I mean, you really saw like towards the end of my career where you had guys who grew up the way people had for, you know, 50 years. And then all of a sudden you had, you know, the, the iPhone generation of kids that had iPhones when they were in fifth grade, you know, grew up on social media and all those things. So the relate, being able to relate to those people, like you have wholly different life experiences at that point. So making that connection can be a lot tougher. Hey, uh, man, that, like you show, I, I remember, look, even in high school, I, I go show up in Indiana and the first guy I run into in the locker room was Isaiah Thomas. And I'm like, holy hell, like I'm going to be on the court with Isaiah Thomas. you know? <laughs> and he was like two years older than me, but still I knew how good he was. I'm like, whoa, you know, I, I was nervous. First time in my life on a basketball court, I'm like, oh, crap. You know, <laughs> you know like I don't want to screw this up. I know exactly. Yeah. Hey, I want to get into, and I know um, – you had this on Carp's Corner, which, by the way, go to at bcarp3, and you're going to see it. It's great stuff. You were talking about uh, Lamar Jackson, and you. what ultimately do you see happening to two quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray, with their teams? If I would say they're ultimately going to get paid, and here's why. Like You look at the historical precedent. The only time I could see a quarterback – who's really taken this thing all the way to the end and didn't get paid was Kirk Cousins. He got franchise tagged twice, and ultimately went to Minnesota. But if you're a starting quarterback, and you know, Lamar Jackson's more accomplished than Kyler Murray. Heck, he, and he won the MVP of the league. I mean, you, you were one of one. You were considered the best. Now, some people may not like the way he plays quarterback. And I think Baltimore's just continued to want to get more and more information on him. And part of it is, too, I think they want these massive deals, and the Deshaun Watson deal probably didn't help them out, out at all, where you know these guarantees now are getting really large, where they look like NBA Supermax deals. But I would say this. The last time Baltimore let this thing run to conclusion with their quarterback, they got burned big because Joe Flacco took them and they won a Super Bowl, and he was going to free agency, and then you have no choice but to pay the guy. So if Lamar Jackson has a good year, Ravens go to the playoffs, win some playoff games, He's getting paid. You're not letting that guy walk out the door. I mean, as much as people want to complain and say this and that, like he's basically going to give that 
Lamar Jackson contract or uh, Lamar uh, or uh, Deshaun Watson contract and be like, hey, I want this plus five percent on it or whatever the heck it is. And if you're the the management at that point, like you would alienate your fan base, you would set your team back if you don't pay him. You know, Kyler Murray, I think it's maybe a little different. He's not quite as accomplished. They also have a team that's in that winning window. You know, they're having success. I don't know if he's quite the leader that Lamar is in the locker room. And I think guys, you know, respect him and, and, and follow him, but I don't know if he's quite as the dynamic of personality. And I know that he really that he wants to get paid. He's put some stuff out there. It's probably a little steep. But if he goes out and plays well this year, they still have him under contract. Whereas Lamar, like, they would have to franchise him, and those quarterback franchise fees are getting astronomical. So I would say Lamar gets paid first. Kyler probably still does unless he melts down. But the Cardinals have a lot more runway to be able to do something right now just due to the fact that Kyler still has time. What's going to happen with Deshaun Watson? You know, uh, a friend of mine who you know works up uh, in our station here in Columbus, he lives in Cleveland and you know, does stuff with the Browns. And it's always it's interesting because I was of the belief I thought he'd probably go four to eight games early on. And then as more and more comes out, I'm thinking, man, this is maybe going to be all 16. And he posed you know, a different idea. He goes, the reality of this is, is like, there's a lot of people the NCAA has to placate. They, they've got to make sure the suspension's serious and stiff enough that – you know, people aren't just furious about it, um, but also, like, they don't want this thing to ultimately, you know, get into arbitration if Lamar doesn't like it and appeals this thing and, I don't know, sues the league or whatever, because there's a lot of examples, Dan. You start looking at Dan Snyder, you start looking at Robert Kraft, some of the stuff that has happened all there, and they'll, the league and the union, they'll be in a tip about that. They'll start leaning in there. The league ultimately wants this thing to go away. And so to get it to go away, that means Deshaun Watson has to settle with these women. Now, I don't know if he's interested in settling until his suspension comes down. Um, but if, he's, if he finally settles it, then that'll at least end, hopefully, the trickle of information. So they have to give him a suspension that something that he would probably take, maybe not be fully happy about it. But then that would encourage him, hey, if you get this done, you get these things taken care of, then you can move on. But there's a lot of things moving around here. I'm I believe he'll probably get eight to 12 games now looking at it, you know, after kind of analyzing a little bit differently, but the NFL just hates negative publicity. And the more we just comes out about it, whether it's true or not, that doesn't matter. But they hate when you have to read these depositions and there's some salacious accusations in there that make probably a lot of people and especially a lot of women uncomfortable. And the NFL is always trying to grow their game. So I think they're going to have to give him something of substance. I don't think it gets to a full year, but it wouldn't shock me if it ultimately does. You know, <clears throat> I want to get back to something about a locker room. Um, how does an NFL locker room handle those? Let's just take two of the situations. Let's take <clears throat> Kyler Murray, because I assume Lamar Jackson in the locker room is uber respected. He's been the MVP. You know, you talked about that. But Kyler Murray, who, you know, didn't play great in the playoffs, and now – Deshaun Watson, who is going through all this, how, how do NFL locker rooms handle those things? Well, contracts are one thing. Like People don't usually ever comment on another player's contract because no one wants you to be in that situation and people comment on you. So you've seen a lot of guys in Arizona you know, kind of speak around it and not talk to it. I, I do know there's been some stuff that Larry Fitzgerald has said out there that 
you know, and he's a very respected voice in the Arizona community and with that franchise. And, you know, there's been some knocks on Kyler's leadership and some different things. And I, I, I don't think, I, I think he's kind of an introverted guy. And the way that we play football now, I don't think he ever really had to call a huddle. I don't know if he's a commanding presence out there. And so not that guys don't respect him, but I don't know if he has, you know, he's the guy out there carrying the torch in the front. If he's the guy that everybody kind of looks to like that, there's always been other players that have kind of been there that have been that leader. So maybe he grows into it. Um, but I think the guys kind of ignore that to a certain extent, but I don't know if anybody's fully coming to his defense as far as, you know, Lamar Jackson, like that's a different beast because like I said, he's been the MVP. He's had a lot of success. You know, he's, He's played through some injuries. I think guys view him as a tough dude in the locker room. He relates really well to the guys. And when that's the case, I think guys kind of rally behind you maybe a little bit more. And then the Deshaun Watson situation, I played with guys who had been accused of different things, maybe not to this level or maybe not with this degree of publicity. But it's amazing the ability for athletes to silo off things like, all right. I mean, there may be a lot of stuff there that with Deshaun Watson that, you know, some, some, half of it's true, a third of it's true. Like that, I don't agree with any of that. And I don't think that that's right. But I'm not sitting here digging into it. I'm judging him based upon what he does. He comes in the locker room. Does he go to work? Is he a good player? Will he help us win? Does he treat me with respect? Does he respect people in the building? And if those things are all checked off, like, all right, whatever's going on out there, until there's some sort of verdict being passed, that's none of my business, man. Whatever you do, that's 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 on your time to me it's always always important is what you did when you walked in the building and how you carried yourself as long as you didn't do stuff outside to hurt the team which you know you can argue that you know suspension and everything that's going on but this should it all be true is bad but i i guarantee you with just the respect that guys had had for deshaun watson when he was in houston i feel like a lot of that's probably carrying on to cleveland hey while i've got you um two things one based on Right now, obviously, a lot changes. Injuries happen. Give me a couple teams you like in the NFL, you know, that you think with the culture and the team. Who, who do you like? You know, I'm not saying the Super Bowl, but what teams do you really like? You know, so one team I like who I feel like is constantly improving, and, you know, Sean McDermott's done a great job up there, is the Buffalo Bills. I've watched Josh Allen. They drafted from a guy who, you know, was just the big arm dude that would run around. He's improved his accuracy. I, they've added weapons to him. You know, Diggs has done a great job up there for him. Like they have all the pieces that they need. They have a really good defense. They have a culture. They have the quarterback. You watched him go toe to toe with Kansas City last year. And I'm going to tell you this: I think Josh Allen. If there was anybody in the locker room that was on the fence with him after watching that game, those guys were all in. And so when you feel like you have a quarterback that's good enough that you can go compete with Pat Mahomes and you know, the best offense out there. You've got good weapons around them. They've always done a pretty good job defensively. Now they still have to keep kind of tooling it up. But I th- I really like Buffalo because I feel like anything else, very rarely do you just go from zero to hero. Like you start out as one of the worst teams and, and be great. Buffalo has been on this slow build and it's a process of learning how to win, winning those critical moments, absorbing some of those tough losses that you had, and then learning from it and finding a way to get through it. And that's kind of how, if you look a lot of times, especially in, in the NBA, where, you know, for a long time, it, there was the Lakers and Celtics and the Pistons and the Bulls. And it was like people, then the Spurs come up and people like slowly kicking the door in 
and just keep kind of climbing that rung. And I feel like Buffalo has put themselves in that place to ultimately be able to do that. So I'm very, very bullish on them um, with where they're at and what they've done. And, you know, it's hard not to like the Rams again. I loved them when they went there last year with Stafford. And I know they won the, they won the stinking Super Bowl, but I mean, I've always been a Matt Stafford fan. Like, you just give them a good offense and some weapons around them, and look what they can do. The guy can make all the throws. We'll see if they can re-sign Beckham. You know, but I love the fact they brought in Allen Robinson, Cooper, they re-signed Cooper Cup. Like, they've got a lot of elite pieces, man. And I know the NFC is stacked, but I, I love Matt Stafford. I've watched him win a lot of games. I feel like he's fine. I'll get him the credit he deserves. And he's not an old guy. He's still in his early – mid-30s, so he's got a nice little runway to be able to push this thing for a while. Hey, I know you got to run. I know you got a show at 10. I, Bobby, thanks a lot, man. Short notice, great stuff. Uh, thanks for talking about championships and culture and the good stuff. Thanks, Bobby. Hey, my pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. Hey, Bobby Carpenter, at BCARP3. I'm telling you, Carp's Corner is terrific. Just go on Twitter, look for it. Uh, you'll love it. You will. It's great. You know, it's really, really good. Uh, I, I, when he does it, I watch it. It's literally that simple. Uh, top of the hour, the boss, Clay Travis, going to join us. We're going to get into, I don't know, we're going to get into some election stuff. We're going to get into how does one find out who to vote for? And I'm not talking about Democrat or Republican. I'm also going to talk about this, the Republicans feel pretty secure going into midterms. I don't know about that. I've told you this before. Uh, there's a little bit of sneaky how about DeSantis against Trump there? Hey, look, there's a lot going on politically. And frankly, I want to be right in the middle of it. So do you. Look, let's be honest. People always say, well, Doc, it's you sucked as a basketball announcer. You suck worse in politics. Hey, look, if I suck as bad in politics as I did an announcer, we'll be the best in the business. So there you go. But hey, look, I do want to talk. Uh, to Clay about those things. You know, it's funny. I'm not a Republican or Democrat. I'm not. I'm I'm a thinker. I like to think for myself. I like to say, all right, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, there are some interesting things coming up. So we'll get into that. I got a bet for you. I'm telling you, I got a bet for you at 1050. At 1050, I got a bet for you like my bet yesterday with the lightning. We are going to, I'm not going to lie. We are going to make you money. Even though this is the off-season of money-making. But at 10.50, I'm going to give you the good stuff. Jason Allen Hammer, we got to talk about Biden falling on his ass. We got to talk about the New Yorker reporting that Trump is planning an all-out attack uh, on Ron DeSantis. Preschool teachers, this is idiotic, bragging about coming out to her class of four- and five-year-olds. You think the world's nuts? Uh, breaking news, and I do think this is breaking. I'm not saying that this wasn't anticipated a little bit, but apparently Brooks Kepka, who has won the U.S. Open a couple of times, has, ladies and gentlemen, gone to the LIV tour. Now, why is this interesting? Well, it's interesting from two regards. Now you got about six of the top 15 influencers in golf heading to the LIV tour, the Saudi tour. That's one of the reasons it's interesting. The other reason that it's interesting is I got to tell you, if you like golf, I go back to this mantra. I know there are some friends of my wife's 
that love watching Brooks Kepka when he wears white pants. <laughs> they do. You know, they're like, hey, Dan, you put Brooks Kepka in white pants. Uh, he's won four majors. We're all in. All right, good. I like watching Farrah Fawcett uh, on a poster. Look, men like looking at pretty women, and women like looking at pretty men. I hate to tell you this, purple nose ring biggin, but that's the way the world works. But really, rarely, I guess, do any of us go, hey, look, Brooks Kepka's playing today. I'm turning it on. I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying we don't often. It ain't like Tiger Woods. And in fact, Scotty Scheffler against Will Zatoris was great theater. Will Zatoris had never won a Masters, right? And then you throw in the guy that won, Matt Fitzpatrick, and you got all you need in golf. So yes, I get that these guys, according to the uh, professional golf, the PGA Tours influencers, I get that Sergio and Phil and uh, Dustin and this guy, Kep, I get that they're all influencers, but they ain't that big of influencers. They ain't that big. They ain't. Look, you can act like they do. You can think that they do. You can tell me that they do. And I'll go, all right, great. But I feel like what I view in sports is what basically most people view, or how I view sports is basically how most people view it. And I got to tell you, um, I don't know. Apparently, now, Jay Monahan is meeting with the players at the Travelers in Connecticut. I don't know. Kepka was the number one player in the world. Kepka was that for 47 weeks. Kepka's a guy that we certainly relate to, but I just don't know that this is any big deal. Now, if I were, an M- if I were a PGA player, particularly Rory McIlroy, I'd be very vocal. I would. I'd be very vocal. Rory right now has cachet. And cachet gives you the ability to speak on things. Cachet comes from championships. Roy just won a tournament two weeks ago, competed like crazy in this, has won himself enough majors that everybody considers him a dude. So if I'm Rory, I use my cachet to further the profile of the PGA Tour. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. I want controversy. We need the PGA Tour in the newspaper, not the newspaper, who cares about that? We need them on the internet. We need disagreement. We need clashing of titans. That gives us interest. So if I'm Rory or I'm Monaghan, hey, look, I ain't afraid, baby. Let's go ahead, like, you know, let's go ahead and get her done. Let's go ahead and get vocal. Let's go ahead and cause a stir. You may disagree with that, fine. But fact of the matter is, uh, we all like a little bit of angst. Why do we like Draymond Green? He causes angst. Why do we hate Draymond Green? He causes angst. Why do we think about Draymond Green more than even Steph? Because he causes angst. Simple. So get vocal PGA Tour and do your thing. All right. The boss is coming up. So I think I should go put on a tie. I think I should put on a tie, a jacket. What am I doing? Seriously, what am I doing? I need a jacket and a tie. When the boss comes on, and we're going to talk about some election stuff, I'll get his opinion on the LIV tour. I'm also going to get his opinion right from the get-go on what in the heck is going on with ESPN and 
her, uh, Sage Steele's lawsuit. Man, I hope Sage wins that one. I do. I hope she wins it. Uh, man. Uh, Steamboat says, purple nose ring bigot. I'm stealing that one. Yeah. Is Morikawa leaving? Oh, no. Hey, Dylan, you guys, anybody see that? Uh, is Mora- I don't think Morikawa's leaving, is he? If Morikawa leaves, now we got a story because Colin Morikawa is a young stud. And a young stud does not need to be leaving. Maybe he is. But I'll tell you this, man. One thing you're going to learn, money talks. Money talks. All right. A lot of people are saying it. Morikawa is going to be the next to go. Wow. Don't know. We shall see. All right. I got to change the batteries. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to get ready. I got to do my hair because the boss, Clay Travis, is next. Stay right here. Tell your friends. Retweet everything. Let's get a big number so we can impress the boss. Papa needs some new shoes, baby. All right. I'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is like when Tom Brady... When Tom Brady walked into Tampa Bay, right, everybody sits up straight. Everybody, you know, I polished my head this morning because the boss is in town, baby. When the boss comes on, you know, I got to go back to the only thing I learned in college, which is sit on the back of your shirt. You see Clay Travis, he's in Atlanta, took his kids to the game last night. Dale Murphy shirt, trivia question, easy one. What position did Dale Murphy come up as? You know, Link, catcher. Yes, sir. Catchers. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, I thought it was catcher. Yeah. Yeah, we had an awesome time. Walk off oh. last night. Braves won uh, bottom of the ninth, two to one over the Giants. We got another game tonight. Um, I don't know if you can see, we're right here. They do a great job at uh, Truist Park. They built up an area all around it called the Battery which uh, means you can park your car, go to baseball games, eat, uh, hang out, go to bars, never go to movies even, never feel like you have to uh, to ever get in the car. So I've got a studio. You can probably see a little bit behind me. That's the, the battery. My studio that I use in Atlanta that's our affiliate is literally what, about 300 yards across from the hotel. So uh, when I finish with you guys, I'll be headed over to do uh, – the Clay and Buck show. So I get the benefit of doing the show down here and still being able to take uh, the boys to, uh, to baseball games, which is pretty fantastic. Do your boys bring a glove and do you bring a mitt? Yes. Last night we had the gloves uh, in tow, um, which uh, no foul balls. Although the last baseball game that we went to was Tennessee, Notre Dame college world series, super regional, and uh, my 11-year-old got a three-run home run ball by Jordan Beck, who's expected to be a uh, first-round draft pick, the last home run that he hit in his Tennessee career. So uh, 
So yeah, can't go wrong with the gloves and uh, we'll even, <laughs> we finish here, going to go downstairs, get some, uh, get some food, throw a little baseball on the way to, uh, on the way to the studio. Oh yeah, man. Hey, look, as a, as a father who did all that and whose son suddenly out of nowhere got to be 25 years old, enjoy every freaking moment. Cause I'm telling you from 11 to 25, Happens like that, and it drives me nuts. So, I know, anyway, I've got that's just a fourteen-year-old you know. too, and it seems like uh, not very long yeah. ago that uh, he was a really little guy. So, uh, I've got 14, 11, and seven, and it seems to pass really, really fast. Oh man, I hate it. At some point, all of a sudden, I'm like, "Wait, I got no one to drive to practice. What the hell are we doing around here?" I, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, right. Whoa. Hey, I, I want to talk about something. Had uh, Sage Steele's lawsuit. Um, you talk about this, and I want to clear it up. There, is there not a law in Connecticut that really favors state, Sage Steele in this? And uh, I think it's ESPN basically saying, hey, look, we don't do business in Connecticut. Can you explain that to me, please? Well, I'm not an expert in the particular, you know, it's not like I'm representing one side or the other. But, yes, there is a particular law in Connecticut uh, which allows individual employers to have uh, employees, I should say, to have basic even more protections to be able to speak as they see fit outside of work. And what's unique about Sage Steele's uh, lawsuit is she claims that she is being suspended and or punished based on things that she said outside of the ESPN employment. In other words, Unlike someone who might go on air and say something inappropriate, which I think most people would agree would be something that is actionable by an employer because you on the job did something at work that they disagreed with. What she did actually was go on a podcast with Jay Cutler, a former NFL quarterback, not in any way affiliated with ESPN and made a uh, series of, uh, of comments that ESPN, according to her lawsuit, decided to, uh, to punish her for, to take action against her. Uh, so that would violate certain provisions of Connecticut law, which provide expansive protection to employee-related statements. Of course, ESPN is based in the state of Connecticut. Bristol is their home base. So... Again, without getting into the particular nuances of this debate, it seems to me that Sage Steele has made a compelling case uh, that ESPN is not able to uh, to punish her based on those comments that she made on an outside the company podcast. When you look at the lawsuit, you're a lawyer. Does Sage Steele have legs to this? And is it yeah. odd uh, in your experience is it out in your experience is someone suing the company that they work for and the company puts her out there? Or how Well, I think that's a I think that's a sign that ESPN first of all, a lot of times when you file a lawsuit against a company, the company does not want to fire the employee because they don't want to look like they are engaging in a retaliatory action. So that is not an uncommon disposition. Uh, the idea that you would be fired for filing a lawsuit. Typically, especially if you're a front-facing on-air employee like Sage Steele, does not happen. Uh, so I think Sage Steele does have a pretty solid lawsuit. The big question now 
will be, does she survive a motion to dismiss? If she does, then we get into aggressive amounts of discovery, what kind of email and text messages were sent out by her bosses uh, surrounding what sort of discipline was implemented against her. Uh, and then you move towards the idea of putting your case in front of a jury, which uh, oftentimes makes big companies very, very nervous. Uh, in particular, dirty laundry might come out, but also you don't know what a jury's going to do. So if I were setting the odds, and again, judges decide this, not uh, guys who, who sit around and uh, opine you know, on, uh, on Zoom shows uh, and, and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. Uh, if that were to, uh, to, uh, to end up happening, which I think it will, then her, uh, lawsuit would be even stronger once it survives that motion to dismiss. And again, I think it will survive that motion. And the motion to dismiss is ongoing right now, right? I mean, so people understand this, it's happening as we speak. Yeah. And it's not uncommon. Most, uh, most people who have a lawsuit filed against them will uh will file a motion to dismiss that lawsuit arguing that there's no basis in legal fact for the lawsuit that was filed and you know as a rough approximation out there juries decide issues of fact did something or something not happen for instance uh judges decide matters of law and a motion to dismiss basically is arguing most of the time hey notwithstanding everything that has been alleged in this complaint, there are no questions of facts. This is entirely a question of law. Yeah, like the Ryan Clark thing absolutely happened. Like, I'm not guessing yeah. on that, not even a little bit. It, you know, it absolutely Yeah, for people happened. who, for people I mean, who I, don't you know, know about, that, about that particular aspect of the lawsuit, Ryan Clark, who is an NFL insider, I guess would be his official title for ESPN, according to Sage Steele's lawsuit, refused to appear on air with her because of her political opinions, uh, which is, by the way, just such an incredibly weak move by Ryan Clark, a grown man who isn't willing uh, to work alongside of a coworker who has different political opinions than he does, but effectively ESPN has acknowledged that that was in fact true uh, in their response to the motion to dismiss. In other words, they're not disputing the factual allegations underlying the complaint. They're trying to argue that there's no basis in legality for them to exist. When I said I was having you on your, on the show today, I asked people what, they would want me to ask you. And one of the things that people said, because I think you and I are the same somewhat, I, I didn't really, I grew up, you know, Gary, Indiana, Democrats, Democratic area. I mean, you know, but now I just try to pay attention and use common sense. So people ask me to ask you this question. How do you go about figuring out who the hell is real and who to vote for? Well, first of all, I think if you agree with any politician, or any political party, 100%, you aren't thinking very strongly yourself uh, because some of the right. political party positions don't logically make sense, right? If you have a particular viewpoint yourself, they don't always add up. 
Um, so what I try to do is I, I, I say this on my radio show all the time. I try not to think about things in terms of Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, Green Party, whatever affiliation you might want to be a member of, whatever tribe you might associate with. I try to think of things in terms of sane and insane. Is this or is this not a sane policy? Is this or is this not an insane policy? And I try to ally myself on the side of sanity uh, more often than not. And so uh, that's the way that I kind of logically work through uh, whatever I end up arguing for or against. And in general, right now, it seems to me that the Democratic Party has got way more insane beliefs than the Republican Party does. And so I am voting Republican in uh, in most every election. Uh, doesn't mean that I'll always do it because I, I'm always uh, skeptical of any political party because the Democrats have gone insane, uh, Dan. I mean, I never would have thought that we'd be in a position when I was a kid growing up or when I was a teenager or a college kid uh, that Democrats would be saying, hey, if it hurts somebody's feelings, you shouldn't be able to say it. Uh, and if uh, if there's a story out there about the president's drug addict, hooker flavored uh, uh, meth head son, Hunter Biden, and all of the things that he may be doing that could be a threat to American interests, well, we'll just get the big tech companies to keep people from even being able to share that story. And oh, by the way, I mean, today, people who are six months old can get COVID shots that we know don't work uh, uh, really for kids. And 75% of kids have already had COVID. So I don't know. I mean, I just look at it from the perspective of, of a parent who tries to be sane. Um, I don't want my kids getting a shot for a virus they probably already had when one in five of them, if it's a Moderna vaccine, are going to get a bad fever and, uh, and and probably have more responses to the COVID shot than they did to uh, to COVID itself. So anyway, I, I just try to work through sanity. I thought it was insane when everybody was saying, hey, we can never play sports again because this COVID, sh- COVID shot that doesn't have any any opportunity um, to uh, to to seriously injure young and healthy people by and large on a statistical basis. Like I was reading the other day in the New York Times, his parents said, hey, I pulled my kid out of swimming lessons because I was afraid of COVID. And my thought is, well, wait a minute. Have you looked at the data? Your kid is far more likely to drown than they are to die with COVID. So you actually made the worst choice you could have from a risk analysis perspective by pulling your kid out of swim class to try to protect them from COVID. Now they're more likely to drown, which was the bigger danger than COVID in the first place. So anyway, I try to be on the side of sanity over insanity. And it seems to me that the insane party right now is the Democrat party. Yeah. And it seems to me those lines are not as blurred as they used to be. Look, I think people tend to think of parties as on a, uh, on a sort of spectrum you know, there's left wing, there's right wing, and there's people in the middle. Um, I, I think a lot of times there's circles, uh, and I don't want to sound like uh, Matthew McConaughey on uh, the, uh, you know, the the the, the show True uh, True Detective, but a lot of what people end up arguing 
is shifting consistently throughout time. I agree with you. I, I, I think there, I think that's why we're going to see a red wave. I, I think there are huge percentages of people out there. Uh, and by the red wave, I mean, in, in like five months when we have the midterm elections, I think there are huge percentages of people out there sitting around saying, wait a minute, you're telling me that a dude who decides that he's a girl can swim against women and win championships. I think 90% of sports fans sit around and think those kinds of things are crazy. I think the idea that you get to pick your pronouns or that doctors get the sex of a baby wrong. Um, I, I think all those things are, are, are anti-science and anti-biology. And I think the vast majority of the American public is agreeing with me. And oh, by the way, they're parts of the Democrat Party platform. And so over time, I don't think it's a surprise that, you know, Hispanics and black and white and Asian people who are persuadable uh, are moving in a direction of sanity as opposed to insanity. How secure should Republicans be? Like, I look at this and I go, man, when people went to sleep during that election, a lot of people <laughs> thought Trump had won. All of a sudden, you know, I, I think you got, hey, I come from a place where the guy that taught me to shoot a jump shot's currently uh, overseas in Mykonos hiding, not hiding, he's there uh, because he paved and got elected because of voter fraud. So I believe in voter fraud. I do, always have. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen a guy come to my house and try to sign up the empty lot next to our door, my dad's friend, and my dad said, hey, look, we don't own it. So Gary, Indiana, East Chicago, Indiana, we know voter fraud. So how secure should the Republicans be? Look, I, I think that everyone who goes out and votes for sanity needs to go out and vote, because if you're worried about election security, and I certainly understand people who are, one reason to, to emphasize voter security and the concerns is to try to tamp down on turnout. And I think if the people go out and vote like I think they are going to go out and vote, I think it's going to be such a red wave, such a red tsunami that 10,000 votes aren't going to make a difference one way or the other. Uh, 10,000 votes did make a difference one way or the other in 2020 and in 2016 and frankly in 10 2012. You know, the real lesson here, I think that a lot of people overlook is in the 21st century, we've only had one presidential election where everybody looked at it and said, you know what, this was an ass kicking. It wasn't particularly close. And that was Obama 08 against McCain. You go back and look at every other election. They've really kind of been in that gray area where, you know, it's like a close ball game. You go change a couple of plays. The outcome is different. 2000, 2004, 2012, 16, 20, uh, my hope is that we are going to get a transformative election in 2024. In the meantime, we've actually had a decent number of what I would call landslide elections in the midterms. And I think that's where we're headed right now uh, in 2022, which will set the table, Dan. Look, I mean, I talk about politics every day now on, uh, on the biggest radio show in the country. Um, and uh, when you actually look at those numbers, and when you break them down and you think about where we are headed, um, it's it's pretty wild uh, to me 
I think we're headed for a 1980, 1984 proverbial landslide in 2024 uh, because the 2024 presidential race effectively is going to start the morning after the midterms as everybody starts going through the data and seeing what we what we learned, what we lost, what we gained. All right, let's talk about that. Trump DeSantis, that seems to me to be heating up a little bit, even now. I think that's going to be the the Republican nomination fight. There will be other people who get in the race. Uh, and again, I'm not saying this based on those guys telling me, hey, Clay, I'm 100% running or anything like that. This is my prediction, okay? I think it's going to come down to Trump versus DeSantis in an epic battle royale for the nomination to be uh, the Republican choice in 2024. And I think whoever wins that between Trump and DeSantis will be your next president of the United States. How dirty will that get? How nasty will that get? I mean, it's a little bit like a, uh, it's a little bit like a fumble on the bottom of a, uh, a pile. I think it'll <laughs> probably get pretty nasty, right? Somebody's trying to get the ball and determines a fumble. Who's going to be uh, who's going to be the president of the United States? Not just those guys, by the way, their entire staffs, their entire apparatus of supporters. A lot of elbows thrown, uh, probably some uh, some some ball shots every now and then, you know, rolling around there on the ground. Um, some uh, some untoward behavior uh, from both sides when you're scrapping and you really want to win. Uh, you know, that that loose ball situation is uh, is sometimes a fracas. And uh, I think we're going to have a loose ball situation in the Republican primary. And by the way, I think the Democrat side might be even wilder because I'm not sure they got anybody who can win. Um, and so, you know, I, I always say, like, uh, you, you know, that analogy when you got two runts fighting for uh, fighting for the, the last ego or fighting for that uh, that last little piece of meat, uh, oftentimes. It, uh, it ends up being a nastier fight than two guys fighting over the caviar. We get to see Hillary again, or are we done with that? I think Democrats are going to be desperate. Look, I mean, you, you want a quick breakdown. I think Biden's way too incompetent, ultimately, to win in 2024. Kamala is a disaster. Mayor Pete is gay, and it's like nobody wants to talk about the fact that he couldn't get a single black vote in South Carolina uh, because there are a huge majority of black voters that have issues with a gay white guy uh, being the nominee. So I think Mayor Pete will have major issues with black voters. Remember, black voters decided effectively uh, Joe Biden was going to be the nominee for uh, for Democrats. Um, and then I think you start moving down further uh, the list of potential contenders. Bernie's going to be way too old. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, I think, is way too old. Uh, and then you move into some of these senators, Cory Booker. Nobody liked him. Uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar seems kind of like a jerk. I, I just I don't I think there's a big bench of people on the Republican Party that I could run through, uh, you know, and say, hey, given the right circumstances, this person could be president of the United States. I think there's seven or eight names uh, that I could run through right now, whether it's uh, Ron DeSantis, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's uh, whether it's Tim Scott, whether it's Ted Cruz, whether it's a, 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 a Haley out of uh, out of South Carolina with Nikki Haley, Nikki uh, Haley. whether it, yeah, whether it is. Uh, I mean, I mean, again, I, I could run through a long litany right now of uh, 
of Republicans emerge as the best of a poor lot of contenders uh, before all is said and done. You didn't mention Camilla. I thought I said the vice president's a disaster uh, right oh, after you, Biden. <laughs> you can go back and check the tape. I think I did. You I did. was thinking you it. Did. I was thinking it if I didn't say it. Uh, I just I don't see any. I mean, she dropped out of the Democrat presidential uh, primary race before a single vote had ever been cast because nobody liked her. And if anything, I think she's in worse shape now, even as vice president, now that she's confirmed that she's a empty suit uh, than she was when she was running before. Hey, last thing real quick, because I know you got to run. LIV tour adds Kepka, uh, possibly Morikawa. A lot of rumors floating around right now. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, more power to him. I'm a capitalist. You know, um, if uh, if you are laboring as hard as you can, and somebody wants to pay you more money than somebody else does, go take it. Um, you know, I, uh, I I I think the PGA Tour got fat and lazy, um, and ultimately. When you can't keep your guys, um, I think your overall product is going to be uh, taking a major hit. Uh, I would look down the line five to ten years and think that we may see a merger uh, and everybody comes back together again before all is said and done. Uh, but in the short term, I think the PGA Tour has been using the sports media to try to argue, oh, you can't go play for a Saudi-backed league uh, when – Everybody else, it seems like, is fine in soccer, for instance, with all these uh, oil oligarchs from Saudi Arabia actually owning the teams. Um, you know, as long as you don't lecture me, and I mean an athlete out there, about politics, I really don't care who you work for. You know, most of us are not fortunate enough to own our own companies. And if you don't own your own company, everybody's working for somebody. And that means that your boss probably has a lot of opinions that you don't necessarily agree with. So why should you be held accountable for what your boss says or does so long as they're operating legally under the laws of, uh, of the country in which you live? I just I, I don't get too fired up about, um, you know, what uh, what the boss says. Uh, relative to the employee, because almost everybody's an employee. And again, I get I think the hypocrisy is what gets me, Dan, when you have a situation where, uh, oh, the NBA is going to lecture me about the way life is going in America. And then they're taking billions of dollars for China, from China and they have slave labor in China or they're going to the UAE and in the UAE uh, being gay is punishable by death. And the NBA saying we can't play the all-star game in Charlotte because of a transgender bathroom bill. That hypocrisy deserves to be called out and should be called out if we didn't have a, a group of sports media who are so far left wing and so pathetic that they never speak truth to power. That, to me, deserves to be called out. But individuals who have never lectured me on politics deciding to make the best financial decision to sell their labor uh, to the highest bidder uh, when it comes to taking care of their family and their future, I don't have any problem with it at all. Hey, what do you got on the show today? 
I think, well, Herschel Walker is going to be in studio with us. Uh, we're, I, I'm down in Atlanta, so uh, he is coming in studio, so we'll have him for a little bit. It's the official one-year anniversary of the Clay and Buck show, um, so I'm sure we'll have a little bit of bells and whistles there. Uh, but uh, but that's uh, that's kind of where we're headed. I appreciate your time, man. I know you're out with your kids and you're in Atlanta. Thanks. Uh, really appreciate Appreciate you letting me be on your network and appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Appreciate you guys. Keep doing a good work uh, for OutKick, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Keep it going. See you all. All right. That's the great Clay Travis live coming at you from Atlanta, where, by the way, uh, I got bad news. I got really bad news. Um, Caleb Swanigan uh, died just now at age 25. Caleb was a kid that I always liked, always respect. He played at Purdue. He was a big old kid, and he got in shape. Purdue did a great job with him, went to the NBA, and at 25, man, he, uh, he passed away, and I hate it. I, I've said it before on this show. I hate things like that. All right. Um, we will discuss that. But Jason Allen Hammer usually is on Thursdays, but like Clay, hey, look, it's summertime. He's at softball, ba- baseball, not softball, baseball games with his kid. We'll be right back. We'll let him get set up, and we'll be right back with Jason Allen Hammer. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know, he's usually Thursdays, but he's nice enough to come on today, even though he is at his son's baseball tournaments, and that's the kind of dad that our friend Jason Allen Hammer is. It's hammer time, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get right into it. You only have 15 minutes. Biden falling on his ass. Our guy at the start, Greg Doyle, said, hey, it's a nice older man falling on his ass. What is your thought? Be gentle. No. This is not a isolated incident. This is not a gentle old grandpa that simply lost his footing. This is a problem. This is a habitual problem. He can't walk up the stairs of Air Force One. We've all seen the video of him tumbling and then not being able to get up. The most underrated part of the Biden stumble on the stairs of Air Force One is the fact that he can't pick himself up. It takes three different times. And that was just the first incident. There was another video last week that shows him almost biting it again, going up the stairs of Air Force One. And now the bicycle thing. And listen, anybody could get on the bike, get their foot caught and fall. But this is a problem. This is a guy that falls all the time. This is a guy that speaks gibberish all the time. This is a guy that has a hard time reading the teleprompter. This isn't normal. This isn't acceptable. This is the president of the United States. And I'm sorry, but Dr. Jill Biden, shame on you for allowing this to go down. Shame on you for allowing your husband, who's clearly lost a little bit of his fastball, to say the least, to keep going out there and humiliating himself. 
I'm not a Joe Biden fan. I think he's an incompetent president. And this country is worse off with him being in charge of it. But Dr. Jill Biden, you are an awful, awful bitch for allowing your husband to go up there and humiliate himself like that. I spoke to my wife, coach. I said, if I ever find myself in a position where I can't speak, I can't read, I can't stand up on my own, I'm not making sense, stop putting me out there. You're embarrassing the family. You're embarrassing this country right now. And shame on Dr. Jill for allowing her husband to be used as a prop like this. The New Yorker is saying that the Trump team is planning an all-out attack on DeSantis as we get ready for 2024. I just talked to Clay about it. That seems to be what is going to happen here. What are your thoughts, big boy? First and foremost, DeSantis has to win his election in Florida. That's number one. The Democrats are spending a ridiculous amount of money to eliminate Ron DeSantis from Florida. He is the biggest threat to what they want to do out of anybody not named Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis, I've said before, is Donald Trump without the baggage. And you know who else knows that? Donald Trump does and his inner circle. He's the biggest threat. So Donald Trump's going to do what he does. He's going to use his massive, passionate base to try to blast Ron DeSantis. And listen, as a conservative, this is not what you want. This, this is not good. Like, I think a lot of people have that vision of, all right, maybe you can get four more years of Trump followed by eight years of DeSantis. I don't know if Ron DeSantis is willing to do that. We don't know if Ron DeSantis is even willing to run. But mark my words, if Ron DeSantis feels like the time is now, my stock is never going to be higher. This is my time. Make America Florida again should be his campaign slogan. You bet your sweet ass Donald Trump and his inner circle are going to find anything and everything to bash this guy. The question becomes, what are they going to find? Because you've got a guy that, at least from what we know right now, has been pretty loyal to his wife, good family man, Yale education, was an athlete, served his country, and never called a porn star horse face on social media. I don't, I don't know why that last part just tickled me, but you know, it just did. Wow, that's a high bar. What didn't you do? Hey, look, I never called a porn star horse face, baby. Elect me. <laughs> it ain't that high a bar. Uh, all right. I got two questions. One. What is this? I'm going to get into the teacher deal, all right? But I got to ask this question that I keep asking. What? What is the deal with drag queens showing up everywhere? What? Where did this come from? Do you have any insight into this? This is what the political left wants to do with your school system, whether it's installing CRT or whatever they want to call it, because the argument you always get, where our school doesn't teach critical race theory. We teach blah, 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 blah. And guess what? It's the same damn thing as critical race theory. You get that, and you get these woke super teachers that want to come out to their classrooms and come out of the closet to four- and five-year-olds. And you've also got drag queens coming in performing shows. The political left, the extreme part of it, let me just make that perfectly clear, because not all folks on the left are on board with this. The extreme part, 
of the political left. They want to view you as a racist and a bigot and a a homophobe, because if you're against any of these things coming to the classroom, you're an ist, and they want to use that against you. What you see right now, and again, I've got two kids in school. They're a little bit older. I've got an incoming senior in high school and an incoming freshman in high school. But the young teachers, and I don't know what's going on at the college level. Maybe they're being doctored or whatever. But the young teachers are the ones that push the majority of the bullcrap. It's the older ones who even might be super liberal that just want to teach your kids go home and get the hell out of there. It's the younger ones. And I've had this situation in our house where I've had uh, my oldest son's honors English teacher give him a finger wagging in a lecture about his white privilege in an essay about Edgar Allan Poe and the way that he wrote his things. So I had to have a meeting with the school. And of course, it was a young, super woke, super progressive chick two two years removed from college. This is what's happening in the education system right now. And anybody that denies it is being super naive. It's happening everywhere. Inner cities, suburbs, red states, blue states. It's happening whether you think it is or not. Got a daughter that's a teacher. She's like, the last thing in the world I want to do. I want to teach kids, man. I want to teach them how to read, how to write, how to interact on a playground, you know? I mean, all right, let's hey, let's roll the tape, Dylan. This is a preschool teacher bragging about coming out, as he said, to four- and five-year-olds. Keep going for a second now. We need one more second to pull it up. Oh, wait a second. We need a second to uh, to put it up. But, I mean, what, uh, what, 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 a four- and five-year-old? We're going to talk. Hey, this, yeah. hey, this is exactly what Jason was talking about. So let me know when it goes. But, my goodness, like, what are we doing? Can we? This was going viral, Coach. This was all over TikTok. It was a preschool teacher. Again, young, woke, progressive, uh, fresh out of college, a couple years removed, with a class of four and five-year-olds basically looking for their approval of the sexual lifestyle that this person wants to lead. It's really unbelievable. I mean, I all you got to do is go to libs of TikTok. Whenever you can play it, go ahead and play it, but... Today on the last day, I finally decided to come out to my kids. And my kids are older. They're four and five. And the way that I did it is just read them a book about this teddy bear that kind of comes out as a trans girl. And it's really nice. And it's very simple. They understood it right away. And I think what made me cry the most was that afterwards, like, I kind of looked at them and there was just a silence in the room. And I just thought, like, oh, my God, now they see me as a totally different person. And before this, they loved me. I was such, uh, you know, one of their favorite teachers and it felt so good to have that. And I think that's one of the biggest fears I had is that as soon as they found out about me, they would lose all love for me. And then one of my kids breaks the silence and she gets up and she just is like, she just hugs me. And she's just like, everyone give Ruti a hug. And they all came and they gave me a hug and she was just like, we love you. Like, we love you so much. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I, it made me really emotional. And it was, I think, one of the biggest moments in my transition where I truly felt like at peace with um, 
who I am and that like even kids can understand it and even kids can accept me and so it doesn't make any fucking sense when adults can't because if a kid can why can't a fucking adult understand and accept and I've actually been having a lot of conversations recently about this just in general about this idea that like queer people are indoctrinating kids and like uh, that Texas law that's going to ban drag queens from interacting with kids. I mean, all of this legislation and these conversations coming up about it. And I just had a moment where I came out to my kids and they accepted me fully. How many times does that idiot say I and me and I and me? Is she still talking? How many times? I, me, I, I, I. This isn't about four and five. Four and five-year-olds. Four and five-year-olds. Hammer. Help me. There's so much going on in that video. Like, we could probably do a full hour show breaking down that lunatic right there. Um, First of all, I don't necessarily need or want my four-year-old and my five-year-old to be hugging the teacher on a regular basis. That's not something that I need. And I would hope that a grown-ass adult doesn't need children to hug them all the time to make them feel valued or to be successful members of society. A hug, okay, whatever, but it's not a requirement. So let's pump the brakes right there. And second of all, why do you need to do this to four and five-year-olds? Why do you need to do this to 16 and 17-year-olds? Keep this crap to yourself. The classroom is not your therapy session. The classroom is not where you're laying down on the couch talking to your therapist about why daddy never loved me. The classroom, and in this case for four and five-year-olds, is designed to teach them what letters are, what the alphabet is, how to count, how to finger paint, how to use crayons. It's not a therapy session for you to come out of the closet and talk to these kids about it. You, Why do you need to have the approval of four and five-year-olds. What the hell is wrong with you? And anybody that says that this is okay, that this is normal, what if that were your four and five-year-old in that classroom? And they come home and you ask, hey, Jimmy, how was school today? Oh, it was great. My teacher came out of the closet, told me she was trans, and then started hugging everybody. I'm willing to bet you'd probably be wanting to have a discussion with the leadership of the school. Ah, hey, look. She could have said, I'm a cat. I'm a cat. I'm a cat. I think I'm a cat. And you know what? And said it like this, you know, really meekly. And you know what four or five you would have done? Probably hugged her. Right. Hey, look, I'm I'm a tree today. I feel like being a tree. (laughs) Would you like to be a tree with me, Jace? You know what I mean? On the level of stupidity. I know you got to run, man. You bring it. You always bring it. It's good stuff at WIBC.com. Go give it a listen. Three to seven. Uh, Hammer and Nigel, best show in the history of the world. I thank you for your time this week. Uh, Good luck to your son. Thank you, man. I appreciate it, brother. Rock and roll. He's the best. That's Jason Allen Hammer. At Jason Allen Hammer. He's got to do a hit, but he wanted to come on because, frankly, he's unbelievably good. And he brings the gas. Hey, look, a lot going on. I'm going to give you a great bet coming up here, uh, but I got to do it on schedule. I got a schedule. Don't at me, people. I'm going to give you a nice bet that you can win just like last night's Avs game. 
Uh, Caleb Swanigan passing away. I, I feel terrible. You know, I've talked about this before on our show. I can't stand when young people die. Look, I'm 60 years old. I'm going to be 60. I'm fat. I'm ridiculous. If I go, eh, you know what? Kids will get some money. The world will be a better place, probably, that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but at the end of the day, when young people pass like that, it makes me insane. I hate it. I don't dislike it. I hate it. And Caleb Swanigan was a kid that was homeless. Caleb Swanigan was a kid who really got his life saved through basketball. He was homeless. He was huge. He was obese. And some folks in Fort Wayne figured it out. They got it going. And next thing you know, he became the nation's leading rebounder. He became the Big Ten Player of the Year at Purdue. And then he was a late-round draft choice. I think he was disappointed maybe in where he was drafted. And you know what? The NBA didn't work out, but so what? Then there were reports back in Fort Wayne that he had gotten heavy again. But the truth of the matter is, um, man, I wish... See, here's the deal. When kids are coming up, somebody mentors them. And many and I think the guy, it was Eugene Parker, Roosevelt Barnes, two guys that played uh, football and basketball at Purdue. They did a great job with this kid. And everybody criticized Parker and everybody criticized Barnes as having their hand out. You know, I don't know. Who cares? All I know is they took a kid that was homeless, made him into a basketball player, sent him off to Purdue, where he was great. But here's the problem, and this is something I always say, the hardest part of your life as a perfect, or excuse me, as a collegiate athlete is right after you go to college and you're done playing. I'm telling you, I tried to warn my son. He experienced it. My wife experienced it. I certainly experienced it. Even when you're in the NBA, it's great. But if it doesn't work out, it's so difficult. You're not part of anything. And you've always been a part of everything. And now all of a sudden, it is just really, really hard. I can't, you know, it's like, what does that Supreme Court justice say? It's like pornography. You know, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. That's what it is. And so many people struggle with it. And by all accounts, Caleb Swanigan was... Um, you know, died of natural causes. But I'm just telling you, when, when you're a kid, you need guidance, right? You need guidance. When you get in college, you've got guidance. Man, I mean, people complain all the time. You listen to these clowns that are anti-NCAA. But the greatest thing about being a college athlete for a lot of people is the guidance you get. Hey, we're going to lift weights. Hey, we're going to eat. Hey, here's this. Here's that. Boom, 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 boom. People say, well, it's a job I hate. Yeah, and then they get out and they realize, wait a second, this is a pretty good gig. So long story short, when you are at that level of play and then it doesn't go, man, depression hits you. Some people, I drank. I'm not going to lie. I worked out uh, and drank. I would work out every day. Like, practice was over, I'd work out, I'd run, I'd do whatever, and then I'd go to Nick's English Hut, sit at the bar with the old-timers, have a J.R. Ewing burger, and have some beers. Almost every night, and I loved it. I did. But still, it was the hardest time. I love that part, because you're laughing, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I remember a girl from my high school, I'll never forget this, I didn't know who she was. She saw me sitting at the bar, she goes, oh, what a shame, Dockage has become nothing, he was such a star. I'm like, yeah, maybe... 
But I still remember her saying that as she walked out. And frankly, it always stuck with me. Like, you know, just because a guy sits in a bar as a J.R. Ewing burger and a couple of beers and he's not with the fraternity and sorority crowd doesn't mean he's a loser, although I probably was. But anyway, um, sad news on Caleb Swanigan. Sad news for him, uh, the people that helped him so much, the Purdue family, my heart goes out. I just hate seeing young people pass away. I hate it. Absolutely positively can't stand it. And I got to tell you, Caleb Swanigan was a great basketball player. And by all accounts, I remember talking to Matt about it. Matt Painter, the coach, said, man, this is a great dude. Dude, uh, he, I think he took a couple courses online and a couple courses on campus, went to every class, did all his work. Just so sad. So incredibly sad. I hate it. Uh, and I'll talk about it today, noon to three, on our show in Indianapolis. Sucks. Really does. Uh, it is almost time, ladies and gentlemen, for me to give you a great pick for today. Now, look, nobody, and I mean nobody, pays attention to baseball more than I over the course of years. Not this year uh, as much, but I still pay attention. I'm going to tell you, one of the things that I always paid attention to was trends. Even when I was a kid and I would run home after school, hope the Cubs were in the second inning, not the sixth inning, so that I could, you know, turn on this TV that was literally this big in our kitchen, sit there and uh, watch the Cubs. Well, here's what I learned. When you play bad teams in baseball and the Pirates are a bad team, they're a bad team. Pirates are an awful team Cubs aren't any better, but having said that, the Pirates aren't going to win two games in a row. They just had a big win. They're not capable, ladies and gentlemen, of winning two in a row. So Cubs have a plus number next to them. It's plus 135 tonight for the Cubs to win. Now, the Cubs are throwing a pitcher that couldn't get me out. That's right. They're throwing a guy named Swarmer who throws the ball 89 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour, and his name is not Kyle Hendricks. So he can't get me out. Are you kidding me? He can't get nobody out. But I'm taking him tonight. I'm taking him tonight not based on anything the Cubs are going to do, but based, frankly, frankly, on the freaking <laughs> – on the Pirates being so inept. So inept. That's what I'm looking at. Yesterday, I gave you the freaking lightning we're going to win over the abs. Why? Because the heart of a champion at home. People have already asked me, hey, Dan, Dan, who are you going to take tonight or the next game, the abs or the lightning? I ain't touching it. The heart of the champion thing is out the door. They routed them. It was 6-2. to two. It was easy money. That's gone, ladies and gentlemen. It is straight out gone. So I ain't, I ain't even worried about that. So I'm not going to bet it. But I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you right now, the Cubs today, I gave you the Mets yesterday. The Mets in a day game against an awful team, that ain't great. By the way, my show this afternoon, listen to this. We got Bill Self, national champ. We got Fran McCaffrey who is the coach of Keegan Murray. We're going to talk to both of those guys. Self, they're and uh, 
McCaffrey joined me from noon to three today. Tomorrow, I got all kind of stuff. I'm anxious to see what happens here with the uh, LIV tour because one of the things, and I want you to remember this, one of the things about this LIV tour is all of these guys that were rumored to go went. Like Kepka was rumored to go. Guess what? He went. Now Morikawa is rumored to go. I don't know if he's going to follow suit because Dustin Johnson was rumored to go. Mickelson was at the head of the class, rumored to go. So now the next in line is Colin Morikawa. And I got to tell you, if I am the PGA Tour, that's a young stud. That's a young guy, bright guy, British opener, the Open Championship winner, chronic contender. I mean, he contends. He's like what Tiger and great players are. When there's a major, they may shoot 72 in the first round. But you know on Sunday, you're going to see the name Colin Morikawa. That would get sexy. That would get interesting. Now, in terms of Kepka, Kepka's kind of injured. Kepka hasn't played great. You know, I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, man, Colin Morikawa goes, Woo, I'm not liking that. It is absolutely, last thing before I go, it is devastating news about Caleb Swanigan. So uh, I know this is a cliche, but do yourself a favor. Instead of being bitter all day on Twitter or fighting with your bosses or worrying about your wokeness or your not wokeness or worrying about all the bullshit things that we worry about, how about you just kind of look around and look with gratitude? You know, I heard this yesterday. I heard a guy say that one of the things he does every morning, takes a walk, goes through the alphabet A through Z, and he goes through A and gives something that starts with the letter A, something that he's grateful for. Now you say, what's that? Well, simple as apples. I like apples. B, C, D, and he gives something he's grateful for, and he talked about it changing his life. Instead of being nasty, instead of being angry, instead of being hurtful, he changed into being grateful. Now, that's hard to do on a show like this, right, where we're commenting on so many different things and so many different things aren't great. I often wonder, would our show be better if we just talked about positive things every day? I don't know. Maybe we should. But when I see a guy like Biggie Swanigan pass away, I didn't, I didn't know him. I talked to him a couple times, you know what I mean? I talked to him, you know, when I was doing a game of his, that kind of thing. But when I see a guy like that pass, I think sometimes we ought to step back and say, wait a second, even at 25 years old, certainly at 59 years old, we're not guaranteed the rest of the day. You know, my father passed away. I was meeting him for lunch eight years ago. I was meeting him for lunch. He's 80 years old, but perfect health. He had just been ziplining in Costa Rica for crying out loud on a cruise. Well, he's in a, he's in a mall here in Indy waiting for me to meet him and my mother up at the mall. We're going to have lunch together. My mother calls me in a panic. Boom, dropped dead right there. Ironic, he dropped dead in a Tesla store. We are Serbian. Nikolai Tesla is our Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, whoever you want to pick. He died in a Tesla store. Boom, right there. That taught me a lesson. Then I see young people passing away. I, I, I don't like it. 
So maybe, just maybe, instead of being resentful, hateful, we could be grateful. I may try it the rest of the day, see how I feel. I may take a walk right after the next show that I do and see how I feel. Go A, B, C, D and start that, well, the alphabet, the letter, and correspond it with something that I'm grateful for. B would be basketball. C would not be cats. I'm just telling you. C would be my crib. D would be all the dockages. I don't know. Kind of fun, actually. It makes you think also. Anyway, uh, if you want to check out my man Hammer, you can check Hammer Time out from noon, or excuse me, from 3 to 7 over at uh, WIBC.com. Clay actually goes up against me, actually here in India, I think. Uh, but you can check him out noon to 3 all across the country on the Clay and Buck Show. Of course, you can check me out, 1075thefan.com, and I'll be there from noon to 3, Eastern time, so getting ready in an hour. But I got to thank Dylan and Ryan and Jacob, uh, Davey and everyone. And of course, well, we had a big day today with Bobby Carpenter and Clay Travis and Jason Hammer. Thanks to everybody behind the scenes in front of the camera that came on. That makes this show great. Do me a favor. Retweet the show. Get it out there. Let's get the 50,000 views today. Have a great, great day today, folks. Enjoy. Dockage out. Boom.